Hi, hi, hi. It's time to hit that math grind. It's Miss Donovan with After Class, the podcast for our week three geometry overview. Woo! How are we already here? Who knows? Definitely not me. Okay, so just a reminder, we're going to go through each and every day. So we're going to go through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because we only have three new days on this assessment. And then we're going to have a quick quiz overview for our quiz on Thursday where I will be staring at the quiz and letting you know what you need to know. Okay, let's get into the topics. We went over two mathematicians of the week this week, but on the last podcast, I went over Nathaniel Knox. So we're just going to go over who was supposed to be our official mathematician of the week, Paul Eridos. He was born March 26, 1913, died September 20th, 1996. And he dedicated his entire life to math by collaborating with over 500 other mathematicians. He wrote approximately 1,502 mathematical papers while working with discrete mathematics, graph theory, number theory, mathematical analysis, approximation theory, set theory, and probability theory. An interesting fact about him is that he had to relocate to the U.S. because he was Jewish. And he, it was very dangerous for him in Hungary during World War II around that time. Paul believed math was a social activity and was known for solving all these unresolved problems in mathematics that were seen as problems that could never be solved. An interesting fact about him is that he was homeless and he would just show up at people's houses to do math. Can you imagine a mathematician who is homeless showing up at your house to do math? I can't. That's this week's Mathematician of the Week, Paul Eridos. Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. It's time to get into Monday's topic. So on Monday, we started with target 3-3. I can write and determine the truth value of converse, inverse, and contrapositive of a conditional statement and write and interpret a biconditional statement. Your homework for this day was page 33, 9 through 16. So if you haven't got it in, make sure you do. Okay, so we started with 3-3, which was on page 32 of your book. So we went over a conditional statement. So conditional statements were from 3-2. Remember, they were our if-then statements. So if we said if something, then this, that's a conditional statement. Each conditional statement has a converse, an inverse, and a contrapositive. So remember, um, there should be three. The converse of a conditional statement is formed by interchanging the hypothesis. So instead of if-then, you're going to say then-if. So the conclusion is going to come first, then the hypothesis. The inverse is formed by negating both the hypothesis and the conclusion. So it's remember, if not this, then if, then, then not that. And then we have our contrapositive, which is basically the converse and the inverse together, where we flip the conclusion and the hypothesis and then say not those. So if not the conclusion, then not the hypothesis. So our conditional statement is our if the hypothesis, then conclusion. Our converse is if the conclusion, then the hypothesis. The inverse is if not the hypothesis, then not the conclusion. And the contrapositive is if not the conclusion, then not the hypothesis. So then we started working with our table where we had a conditional statement that said, if a figure is a triangle, then it is a polygon. We wanted to figure out whether each statement was true or false. Then if it was false, give an example of it. So our conditional statement is if a figure is a triangle, that's the hypothesis, then it is a polygon, that is the conclusion. So we wanted to write the converse of the statement. So if the conclusion, then the hypothesis. So we said, if a figure is a polygon, then it is a triangle. That is false because you could have polygons that have four sides like quadrilaterals. Then we did the inverse. So the inverse would be if not 
the hypothesis, then not the conclusion. So if a figure is not a triangle, then it is not a polygon, which this again was false because we can have polygons that are not triangles. So if it's not a triangle, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not a polygon. So again, another example would be a quadrilateral. And then we had our contrapositive, which is if not the conclusion, then not the hypothesis. So we said if a figure is not a polygon, then it is not a triangle, which is true, because if it's not a polygon, it can't be a triangle, since a triangle is a polygon. So remember, if a conditional statement is true, if our given conditional statement is true, the converse and inverse are not necessarily true, but the contrapositive will of the conditional is always true. So if we have a true conditional statement, if our original if-then form is true, that means the contrapositive is definitely true. The converse and the inverse can potentially be false, but they could also potentially be true. So we have, all right, so what it's saying is the contrapositive of a false conditional statement is always false. So again, if the conditional statement is true, the contrapositive is true. If the conditional statement is false, the contrapositive is false. Likewise, the converse and the inverse of a conditional statement are either both true or both false. So... The converse and the inverse have to be both true, both false. Um, it doesn't matter if the conditional is true or false. That really depends. So if we have a true conditional statement, either everything can be true, or if our conditional statement is true, um, the converse and the inverse can be false. If we have a false conditional statement, everything can be false. Or if we have a false conditional statement, the converse and the inverse could be true, while the contrapositive is also false. And then we went through writing conditional statements um, whose the inverses were false, and we just wrote many examples. Then we got into our biconditional statement, which is a statement when it's converse um, and the statement itself, the conditional statement, are both true. We would then combine those statements using the words if and only if. So if we combined a conditional statement and its converse and they both are true, Using the words if and only if, that is a biconditional statement. So you only have biconditional statements if the word if and only if is there. And they are both true. Both statements have to be true. Then we went through writing again examples of contrapositives, converses, inverses, and everything. And then we went through our check for understanding, and you guys started your homework. So again, if you have not turned in your homework or if you're a little confused, these are important definitions to know because you will be asked to write a contrapositive or a converse or an inverse of a conditional statement. And you might be asked about biconditional statements. You will be asked about biconditional statements. So make sure you understand these vocabulary words. But other than that, that seems like it is it for Monday. Club going up on the Tuesday. Now it's time for Tuesday. So on Tuesday, we started 4-1, day one of our notes. Our target was I can find the lengths of segments by applying the segment angle postulate or using the definition of midpoint. Today, we focus mostly on the segment angle or the segment angle postulate. So again, our notes started on page 39, and we started um, just learning, again, what postulates meant. So in geometry, we had axioms or postulates. Those are statements that are accepted as true without proof. We use those to prove other things that we need to prove. So we have to have something that doesn't need to be proved so we can prove everything else is basically what they're saying. It provides a starting point for deductive reasoning. That's really important. So we had point, line, plane, distance all along a line. Those are all undefined terms in geometry that we use to define other geometric terms. So for an example, a uh, line segment is the distance between endpoints. 
So if two points are more than a foot apart, or I mean, no more than a foot apart. So if they're less than a foot, less than a whole ruler, we can use the distance between them. Uh, we can measure it by using an ordinary ruler. So there were a few examples in our book where they had an inch ruler that was smaller. It was not up to scale. And they showed us where point A and B were and how we would find um, how far away they were. So the first one, point A started on zero and point B ended at five. So they were five inches away. Then they moved point A to start at 2 and point B to start at 7, and they wanted to know the distance between them. How we did that is we did 7 minus 2, and we got 5 inches again. Then we had a few examples where they asked us to measure it, but again, the ruler that I had was not very accurate, so I had measured it and um, went along with it during the video. We were using the ruler postulate. So to every pair of points, there corresponds a unique positive number called the distance between the points. The points on a line can be matched with real numbers so that the distance between any of the two points is an absolute value of the distance of their associated number. So again, all of these are positive numbers. We are not using negative numbers to find the distance. Um, so for the first one, we found using the ruler that uh, it was a line segment DF. There was a point E in the middle, um, a little less than the middle. It's DE was 2.5 inches long. EF was 5.7 inches long. We used those two terms to add them together to get the whole length of DF and got 8.2. I was saying inches, but it was centimeters. So then we did the same thing with a line segment GK or KG. And then we were asked to say whether we noticed any patterns. So the pattern that we notice is when you add the lengths of two shorter segments, um, you're going to get the length of the longer one. So when you have two shorter segments that equal, that like create one long segment, if you add those two together, you're going to get the length of the long seg segment. And that's kind of what we used as our segment addition postulate. Take the first segment, add the second segment, you, e you equal the full segment. Okay, and then we used our addition, um, our segment addition postulate um, with numbers we were given. So we had problems where we had to draw the line, we had to draw the points, we had to draw the segments and figure out like what the length of the full segment was. So for 5a on page 40, it says if B is between C and D um, and BC is 10 inches and BD is 3 inches, what is CD? So we drew a full line, um, CD, we put a point somewhere kind of in the middle, point B, and then we filled in what we knew. So we knew that CB, um, is 10 inches long, so we filled that in. We knew that BD was 3 inches long, so we filled that in. And we want to figure out the whole length of it. So what we did was we added 10 plus 3, we got 13. So again, you could use that. Um, for B, we had one where we knew the full length and then one of the segments, and we wanted to find the smaller segment, so we used the full length of the segment and subtract the smaller segment. And then for C, we were given variables. We weren't given numbers, and we had to set both small segments, we had to add those small segments together, set it equal to the large segment, and solve for s, x. So that will be something like kind of what you're going to do on your assessment. And then we quickly talked about the midpoint, which is a super important definition for the rest of geometry. The midpoint of, of a segment is the point on the segment that divides it into two congruent segments. So the midpoint is the exact middle of a segment. And on each side of the midpoint, it creates two segments that are congruent. That means they are equal in measure. So if we are given a line RS and M is the midpoint, we know that M is exactly in the middle of RS. So if RS, the whole segment equals 10, 
then half of the segment must equal 5. So again, you know that it's going to be half, and it has to be two equal parts. 5 plus 5 is 10, so both halves have to equal 5. If we have one that is 12, if we have half of a segment, so we're given a segment, and from the first um, endpoint to the midpoint is 12, we know from the midpoint to the second endpoint also has to be 12, so then the whole segment would have to be 24. We did a check for understanding again, and then we stopped and you guys start on your homework. Your homework was a worksheet. You still have time to complete it, so make sure you get that turned in if you still need to do that. But then otherwise, we are done with Tuesday, so I guess it's time for Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Now it is on to Wednesday, or today if you're listening, because our quiz is on Thursday, which means our quiz is tomorrow. Our target was, again, I can find the length of segments by applying the segment addition postulate or using the definition of midpoint. Your homework was page is page 41, problems 13 C and D, because there are gonna, there's going to be one problem like that on the quiz. And then page 49, problems 1 through 3, 6 through 10, and 14. You have an optional assessment review, which it looks basically exactly the same as the quiz tomorrow, or the assessment, and our assessment again is tomorrow. So today, what we are focusing on is using the definition of midpoint. So we started on page 41, number 11. And again, instead of using, like, we didn't have any lengths. We were given a number line. So we counted the distance between the two points. Um, and then we were able to kind of figure that out again. Or you could use our algebraic way by subtracting them and then figuring it out. So... Uh, we had point L, which was on negative 3. We had point M, which was on a positive 4. So what we did is from each number, we counted up. So from negative 3 to negative 2, we got 1. From 2 to 1, it was 2 points away. From one negative 1 to 0, was 3 points away. So on, until we counted all the way up to 7. So we wanted to make sure our distance was 7. So we used our formula where we did 4 minus negative 3. If you do 4 minus negative 3, you get a positive 7. So yes, the distance of LM was 7. That was just a review of what we did on Tuesday. So again, the midpoint of a segment is halfway between its endpoints. So you know the coordinates of the endpoint. You can average out and find the coordinates of the midpoint. So we were given a line uh, PQ. The midpoint was M. Or yes, the midpoint was M. We know that P was on 8 and Q was on 40. So we wanted to figure out what was the halfway point of the number line between them. So what we did is we did 40 plus 8. We divided that number by 2, and that was it. We got 24. That was the midpoint. The midpoint between 8 and 24, or 8 and 40 is 24. How you could figure out the distance of that, you would do 40 minus 8 divided by 2, and you'd figure out the distance is 16 away. So whatever 16 um, units away from 8 is the midpoint um, ascending, and then 16 units away from 40 descending would be the midpoint. So if you did 8 plus 16, you would get 24. If you did 40 minus 16, you get 24. So again, you would add 40 and 8. You would add the two points, divide by 2 to figure out what the point, the actual number of the point was. If you did 40 minus 8, that is how many units away the midpoint is. So again, our midpoint was 24. We then kind of skipped around and skipped to the next page of 43, where we talked about how we can use the definition of a midpoint and the properties of algebra to determine a line segment. So in our example A, we were given Q as a midpoint of PR, 
Um, so basically here, instead of given numbers, we were given expressions. So PQ, so um, PR was our line segment. We drew that. PQ was from the first endpoint to the midpoint. And QR was from the midpoint to the second endpoint. We were given the expressions of PQ equals 4X minus 5 and QR equals 11 plus 2X. And we wanted to determine the length of PQ. So we just want to determine the length from P to Q, not from Q to R. Um, right now, right now was it. Okay. So then we, what we did was we set up 4X minus 5 equal to 11 plus 2X. Why did we do that? Well, by definition of midpoint, it um, creates two congruent segments, which means the measure is equal. So since the measure was equal, we can just set those two up to each other and solve for X. Once you solved for X, you got X was 8, but we were not done. Because we were not done, we had to plug that 8 back into 4X minus 5. You do 4 times 8 minus 5, you got 27. We figured out that PQ is 27. That is the length of it. Then we wanted to figure out what the length of PR was, the whole segment. So you could either plug 8 back into X for 11 plus 2X, or we know our knowledge. We know that one half of the, uh, from the midpoint to one endpoint, they're the same. They're congruent. Both sides the midpoint creates are congruent. So the other side also had to be equal to 27. So you should get a full distance of 54 for PR. Then we kind of did the same thing. We drew a few lines. Uh, we used our algebraic knowledge. And one for one of them, we were given the length of the full line segment and one at the midpoints, and we needed to solve for x. What we did is, since we know that the midpoints um, from one endpoint to a midpoint, from the midpoint to the other endpoint are equal, we could use the expression twice. Um, since from our line segment was rs, the midpoint was m, from rm was x plus 6. We didn't know ms, but we know that if... It is the same as RM, so we could plug X plus 6 in. So we did X plus 6 plus X plus 6 equals 5X plus 3, because 5X plus 3 was the whole length of RX. Then we solved for X there. The last thing we kind of talked about was our reason abstractly. So our line segment WZ bisects XY at point Z. Um, we know that a bisector is a geometric figure that divides it into two equal parts. So basically, we drew a line where it created a right two right angles um so we had x y and we had z um we wanted to draw two conclusions and since we know that it um wz bisects x y um at point z we know point z is the midpoint because it bisects it creates two equal congruent parts and then we also know that x z is congruent to z y because again they were two congruent parts so after this, you should start your homework. I added page 41, problems 13, C, and D, because there's going to be a problem like that on the quiz. And then we have page 49, 1 through 3, 6 through 10, and 14. So make sure you're doing those and turning those in if you haven't already. Okay, just remember Thursday. Thursday. Can you remember Thursday? Yeah, so Tuesday? Thursday. Look, if you need help remembering, just think of it like this. The third day, all right? Monday, one day. Tuesday, two day. Wednesday, when, huh, what day? Thursday, <laughs> the third day, okay? Okay, so thank you for all everyone who is still listening. We are now gonna go over our assessment three review. So again, on assessment three, this is the last time we are um, tar 
testing targets of 1-1 and 1-2 part 1. So I can identify, describe, I can identify, describe and name points, lines, line segment, rays, and planes using correct notation. You can also identify and name angles. That is 1-1. You will be asked two questions. One is about either a name, a point, a line, a line segment, ray, or a plane. And the other is about an angle. So make sure you know how to name and identify them. That's super, super important. For learning target 1-2 part 1, it's I can describe and name angle pairs. You have two questions again. You're going to be asked what kind of angle something is. And then you're going to be asked to solve for X. So you need to know your different angles like complementary angles, supplementary angles, adjacent angles. And then you should know our four basic angles, which are uh, acute, right, obtuse, and straight. If you know all of those words that I just said, you're going to be perfectly fine. So remember, also a complementary angle is equal to 90 degrees. So if I tell you that something is complementary, um, or you can see that it's complementary, you're going to solve for x, and you're going to set it up equal to 90 degrees. Now, supplementary is equal to 180. So if I tell you it's supplementary, you're going to set it up equal to 180 degrees and solve for x. Okay, then we have our second time for uh, learning target 1-1 part 2. I can identify and name parts of a circle. You're going to be, you need to know the words chord, diameter, and radius. Those are going to be extremely helpful for you. You have a true false question, and then you're going to be asked to either draw a chord, a radius, or a diameter. So definitely go look back at those. Remember, a chord is um, a point uh, or a line that goes through a circle that has both endpoints on the end. A diameter is a chord that goes through the middle of the circle, like the midpoint. And then a radius starts at one endpoint of the circle and ends at the middle of the circle. So if you know those definitions, you're going to be golden. We're also tar uh, testing target 2-1 and 2-2. I can make conjectures by applying inductive reasoning and recognize the limits of inductive reasoning. And I can use deductive reasoning to prove that a conjecture is true, develop geometric and algebraic arguments based on deductive reasoning. You're going to be asked to complete the two next terms. That's going to happen twice. Then we have 3-1. It's our second time testing this one as well. I can use a property to complete um, algebraic two-column proofs. Again, you need to know what collinear is. So remember, collinear are points on the same line. You're going to be asked to name three collinear points of a figure. And then you're going to be asked to complete a proof. So remember, if you are given something, you want to put it in the given statement. Uh, fill out the reasoning and make sure you fill out what you are doing in each step. And then we have our two targets. We are testing. Oh, wait, no. We have 3-2 which I believe we are testing for the second time again, I can identify the hypothesis conclusion of a conditional statement and give a counterexample for false conditional statements. Um, so again, you are going to be asked to give a counterexample of a false con of, a, of a conditional statement. So when I say counterexample, I mean I want an example of when it doesn't work. I don't want you to write a conditional statement as a counterexample. I want you to write when it doesn't work, okay? Then you're going to be asked to underline or highlight either the hypothesis or the conclusion of a conditional statement. So remember, the hypothesis is the if portion. The conclusion is the then portion. Then we get into our new target, 3-3. I can write and determine the truth value of converse, inverse, and contrapositive of a conditional statement. And you can write and interpret a biconditional statement 
you need to know what a biconditional statement is. That's going to be very important. And then you're either going to be asked to write the converse, the inverse, or the contrapositive of a statement. You're only going to be asked to write one, not three. So make sure you know the words and what they do um, and what they mean. For our last section, we have 4-1. I can find lengths of segments by applying the segment additional postulate or using the definition of a midpoint. We have one question that is like um, our homework from Thursday where um, it's like problems 13 C and D. So make sure you do those because it's going to be super, super helpful for you. And the last one, make sure you know what a midpoint is and how to use it to find the length of certain segments and solve for X. That is it for your assessment. Um, if you have any questions, again, I have office hours every day from 2.10 to 3 o'clock, so make sure you come today. If you're listening to this, shoot me an email um, and make sure you're completing your homework. That is it for this section of our After Class Podcast. Wow, our week three overview is already over. Who can believe it? I definitely can't. So this week we went through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of what we did. And then we had a quick quiz overview. So again, if you have any questions, my office hours are from 2, 10 to 3 o'clock every single day. Let me know if you need anything or you can always shoot me an email. Otherwise, I guess that's it. I'll see you in class. <laughs>